0: Welcome back to the podcast folks This is conversations with the mind Yes you are in the right place And I'm your host Shane LeMaster I want to start off by thanking all of you listeners Your continued listenership means so much to us So please continue to listen And tell your friends and family about the podcast That's how we spread this conversation And we get others involved in the conversation So thank you, thank you, thank you Also, please continue to like and share all of our posts when we put these up on social media. It is through your help that we get this message out. Our reach is only so far, but with your help, we can reach so many more people. So please continue to like and share. And if you like the content that you're hearing in these podcasts, please feel free to donate. There is a link at the bottom of whatever podcast app that you're using. Please feel free to donate to that if you find this information valuable in any way. Any amount of donation is accepted. And we appreciate everything that you are willing to donate, even if it's a dollar, even if it's five dollars. Please donate to the podcast. All proceeds go back into it to make the message better for you and please check out our youtube page support and subscribe to the mindops youtube page where we break down a number of these concepts and you can find videos on all sorts of topics that we have created so please check it out and here is a word from our sponsor the conversations with the mind podcast is sponsored by mindops.com. You can find us at wwwmind We're an eclectic counseling company providing mental health and mental performance services to individuals, small and large groups, teams, businesses, military through face-to-face sessions or at a distance using phone or confidential video chat apps. We bring a unique Buddhist-Western lens and specialize in general psychotherapy for all mental difficulties sport and performance psychology for performance enhancement, addiction counseling for any maladaptive or destructive habits, and psychedelic integration therapy to make the most from your visionary medicine work. We are available as well for corporate workshops to address the needs of your employees' wellness. And now to the good news story. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is this even happening? Somebody pinch me and make sure that this is not a dream. Today's good news story is all about what happened last week with the decriminalization vote in Denver, Colorado. Uh, So right in our own backyard, Initiative 301 passed by a very narrow margin in the last remaining hours of the vote and the ballot counting, and Initiative 301 passed effectively decriminalizing psilocybin mushrooms in the greater Denver area, the city and county of Denver what great news that is for all of us uh, who are um, initiates into the realm of psychedelics and uh, psychonauts and and, um, exploration of the mind. This is huge news. This is a great step forward in the right direction, although this isn't the end of the fight. This is just the beginning. This particular vote, this moment in history, and it really was a a historical moment. Um, It really shifts it shifts the momentum of drug policy here in the united states and as you'll see in the next coming months and years and decades um you'll see now uh the unfolding at the political level and the legislative level uh within state law and federal law uh the decriminalization of not only psilocybin but following uh decriminalization of other drugs and rescheduling and reclassification uh, to more appropriate categories. We'll see uh, openings into more psychedelic research, more psychedelic assisted therapies. Um, You know, the legitimacy of these medicines as far as the uh, the research goes has been emerging in a very robust way in the last decade or so. And uh, there's a great deal of literature from the 50s and 60s as well Uh, when when experiments were done with these medicines, but also the historical relevance of these medicines being used for many, many, many thousands and thousands of years by human beings and um, not only humans, but other animals too, ingesting these mushrooms. Um, They're they're quite profound uh, in their influence and their potential for um, not only healing, healing of mental health issues, and healing of uh, degenerative brain type issues, but also um, helping people to find their spiritual connection again or find their own connection to themselves so this is such great news not only for Colorado but for the United States and for the world really to kind of uh, to kind of highlight the importance of of what we're trying to do here with these types of political movements so that's a great news story today um and it happened right in our own backyard hopefully that puts a smile on your guys face and like i said even if you guys don't partake yourselves almost everybody knows somebody who suffers with uh, some sort of mental illness whether it be depression or uh, ptsd or you know anxiety or any any number of things um but also addiction too you know uh tobacco addiction or alcohol addiction or opiate addiction you know a lot of these psychedelic medicines are really profound in their ability to heal a lot of these mental health issues or or at least help people make immense progress in a very short amount of time if done properly with the right the right professionals and the right setting and the right integration afterwards and we get into all that in the podcast so that's our good news story I hope it, like I said, I hope it puts a smile on your face. It certainly made my year so far. Um, that's awesome and I love to be part of Colorado. Uh, I love to be living here at this time in history. Um, I couldn't be happier, you know, we're leading the charge in um, you know, legalization of cannabis for recreational use and now decriminalization of psychedelic mushrooms. Um, I look forward to also being a part of this charge moving forward and and leading the way through uh, ethical and responsible means um, and leading the way from Colorado, I love it. So, uh, all right to to the conversation with my mind this week. Um, this came up in my last podcast, and uh, my last guest brought up an idea that got my got my mind sparked this week and and was really turning this idea over in my mind and. It relates to the title of the podcast, Conversations with the Mind. And I heard my guest, once I listened to the recording last week, I heard my guest say um, the phrase conversation of the mind. And at first I thought it was just a little slip, but then I I listened to it again and it it had greater, deeper meaning to it. And uh, I was able to compare it to you know the other phrase conversations with the mind so this is the interplay that was in my mind all week this week is what is uh, conversations of the mind versus conversations with the mind and you know i believe conversations of the mind are conversations that maybe emerge from it or um almost like a like an outcome or or some kind of conclusion that comes from processes that go on in the mind. So a conversation of the mind might be more of a of a factual nature, maybe, or, or maybe not even factual, but sort of um, a monologue, as opposed to a conversation with the mind being sort of more of a dialogue or a debate that you can have within your mind. So a conversation with the mind, to me, seems more like um, you know, talking to all those different little voices in your head that are telling you different things uh, to do in a situation, or different decisions to make, or um, different ways to perceive a, a given situation. That these are conversations with the mind, where we're trying to kind of process through and figure things out. And this is the the putting the pieces together. This conversation with the mind, um, and that relates right back to what the podcast is all about. You know, putting the pieces together of all these different. Perspectives these bringing these different minds to the table to put these pieces together, and then the conversation of the mind is more the monologue that that comes from that process, so the story that we tell ourselves after uh, we've sort of debated with ourselves and and had this dialogue and come to some kind of conclusion, and then it turns into more of a monologue or a story we tell ourselves. Um, I just thought that was an interesting play of words, and and it was just a simple switch of one word from conversation of the mind to conversation with the mind, um, and and how the meaning changes so drastically. Um, I just thought that was really, really interesting, and like I said, it's been on my mind this week, so I thought i brought it up. Um, Today's guest, very special guest today, and so blessed, so grateful that he could join us today, Kevin Matthews. He's the former campaign director for the Denver Psilocybin Initiative. So he is the campaign director, um, one of the primary leaders in the movement to decriminalize psilocybin mushrooms in Colorado, and it was such a blessing to have him on the podcast only days after the uh, the vote went through. I, I'm not sure, but I think uh, this might be Kevin's first podcast interview since um, the initiative passed. Uh, Hasn't gone into effect yet, but uh, since it's passed, I think this is the first opportunity He's had to really sit down and in long form uh, speak about his own journey Through it and uh, to psilocybin mushrooms and and through the process of decriminalization and and where we go next Um, So it was a great opportunity to have him sit down with us for two hours Um, Other things you should know about Kevin Uh, he's a father of a beautiful five-year-old son Uh, he's a husband Uh, he loves his wife very very much he speaks about that in the podcast and and uh, it's quite beautiful Um, so he's a family man for sure and uh, in the future he hopes to take a leadership role in other sort of national initiatives to try and push uh, with the momentum that's been created here try and push forward to try and decriminalized in other areas of the country and maybe even move towards a model of legalization or at least um, legal medicinal use for some of these medicines. Uh, so it was it was a blessing to have Kevin on the podcast today. Uh, it was so awesome to sit down and talk with him. This is one of the best podcasts we've had so far. And I need to let you guys know that we did try to do a YouTube uh, video of it. And I will upload what, what I have. But uh, just so you know, you know, the... The audio and the video um, from the GoPro that I'm uploading to YouTube doesn't quite sync up, and I don't know if uh, if any of you out there know how to fix that, but please leave comments under the YouTube video. Please be kind about your comments. I'm still trying to figure this out, but um, please leave your comments and suggestions on how I might be able to fix some of these issues, uh, and I'll do my best to to implement them as quickly as possible. Um, so that will be up there, and just so you know also, um, I haven't figured out how to make the GoPro take a video for the entire interview, so only the first hour is up there on, uh, on YouTube. But if you're listening to this uh, through a podcast app, you're going to get the full-length conversation with Kevin, and um, I hope you enjoy it. So here we go, Conversations with the Mind, episode 40 with Kevin Matthews. This is the Conversations with the Mind podcast, where we explore consciousness through conversations with interesting people. Our mission is to engage the collective mind piece by piece to bring greater clarity of mind to our listeners locally and across the planet, and to contribute to broaden the shared experiential knowledge and wisdom of existence. All right, welcome back to Conversations with the Mind. I'm your host, as always, Shane Lemaster, and I'm here with a very special guest, Kevin Matthews. Hey, thank Shane. You, thank you for joining us. Thanks for being Thank you for having me. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. you being here, um, especially on this, uh, on the, on the coattails of this amazing news, this amazing historical breakthrough election that we had in Denver last week yeah. um, for the Initiative Three Hundred One, um, the decriminalizing of psilocybin mushrooms. Now, I believe that's only in Denver County. Though, That's right. The okay. city and county of Denver. city and county of Denver. So uh, for our listeners, welcome. Um, and we will, you know, we'll get into that pretty deeply uh, here in a minute. But I want to start off the podcast the same way I start every podcast, which is asking the same question I do to every guest. Uh, and that question is, uh, what does the phrase conversations with the mind mean to you? Hmm. Um, the listeners know what that means to me and uh, why I put this podcast together. And I'd like to just get a, a sense from every guest uh, as far as like, how that resonates and how it sits with you.
1: Yeah. It's, you know, it's the first time anyone's ever asked me a question like that, Shane. So mm-hmm. um, it's pretty great. And, and I think it's, it's really, really relevant to the work that, that we've done as a campaign over the last, for some of us, a uh, year and a half. And so much of the work that we've done started out as an idea and started out as a conversation. And really exploring what's possible here Mm -hmm. and then over time I mean linking like each to me each mind is is a node of Mm -hmm. consciousness and and as those nodes connect we start to interlink and collaborate and share information and then from that collaboration and from that that communion um, we can well with the work that we've done we've been able to to really create something that's blossomed and it's going to have an impact on culture for a long mm-hmm. time so I, th- I think that um, you know we're always in conversations with ourselves mm-hmm. in our own mind you know despite how much we may, we may not want to be or how much we try to avoid that and um, so it, it's a good reminder because um, I'm always in conversation with myself I'm in conversation with um, I try to be as much in conversation with kind of the internal quiet subconscious part of myself that doesn't get acknowledged that often.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then at the same time, um, creating space to share these kinds of conversations with other individuals has proven to be
0: groundbreaking mm-hmm. for us. That's, that's awesome. I like how you talked about how each person is a different node of consciousness. And w- what popped in my head immediately was, uh, it, well, my background is in psychology. So I, Visualize the model of the brain, you know, and mm-hmm. how if each person is a single neuron, you know, in the brain, a single neuron doesn't do much. Right. You know, it's uh, it, it's not uh, it's not a major. I mean, it's a, it's an important part of consciousness, but all of consciousness from one neuron, right? So it it takes all these neurons working together to make this other bigger thing blossom. Absolutely. And I like what you're, you know, that's what came to my mind and and it makes total sense. And then uh, tell me more about this quiet space because that's something that we haven't talked much about on this podcast. Hmm. I'm familiar with um, this space through meditation, definitely. But I agree with you, you know, that quiet, peaceful, calm, serene space um, in consciousness thats sort of underlying or overarching everything mm-hmm. um it, it doesn't get acknowledged um so the other ways that i've like described this on the podcast before is sort of like if your thoughts and your mind chatter are like clouds in the sky yeah this higher state of consciousness is almost like the blue sky like if you flew above the clouds, above the clouds. no matter how stormy the clouds are it's yeah. always blue skies above and it's just yeah. calm and serene right like that's this higher level of consciousness this quiet serene part of ourselves that here in the west like when I work with people in psychotherapy, this is one of the biggest issues is that people here in the West have a really hard time sitting with yeah. quiet, sitting and doing nothing. Uh, we feel like we have to go, 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 and do, do, do all the time. And we're human beings, you know? We're not called human doings, right. you know? We're supposed to be... Right. We're supposed to just be in the moment. Yeah. Um, I love how you, you put that. Can you, you talk a little bit about the quiet space for you? What yeah.
1: that's like? Well, what's what's ironic to me is that sometimes we have to go through the chaos to get there, hmm. you know, like through the chaos of our thinking mind, through the chaos of our, of our, of our doing and our tasks and our, and our, uh, I guess our, our daily routines that we go through. And like, I mean, for me personally, it's been, I've been working very hard to cultivate that space over the life cycle of the campaign. And it's, it's been honestly been very challenging, hmm. Uh, just because we're, with the work that we've done so far, it's um, it's it's been. I've needed to level up, and I think I need to level up a little bit more. Um, level but, up in what? Well, just level up, cause now, like we've 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 hit this new baseline now, mm-hmm. um, where you know psilocybin mushrooms are now effectively decriminalized. We've the last um, eighteen months of work has led to this point, and then now we can take a moment to rest and like. Breathe and settle into that quiet so, space. Like, yeah, it's like, and in, in that quiet space is this new baseline, knowing that there's going to be a lot more work wow. ahead. And um, so it's yeah, and and I I kind of also equate that to some of these larger dose um, psilocybin experiences where um, it, many times you have to we're pushing through the layers of our. Of our psyche and our and our in our own thinking, our own thinking. To once you kind of peak on the experience, you emerge on top, and it gets quiet for a little bit. And at least from my
0: experience, mm-hmm. and you're just like you're just like wow. To new baselines again. Yeah, exactly. So you go through a challenging experience, whether it's psychedelic or not. You mm-hmm. know, um, mm-hmm. you know, a, a survival experience in the wilderness can do the same thing, or a near death yeah. experience. But you you reach this new growth, right? This Big boom, and then all of a sudden everything's calm, and it's like a new plateau. But you know, you look to the other side of the plateau, and oh, shit, the mountain's still there. You know, <laughs> yeah, I still, still, no still got to keep climbing. Climbin', but so. it becomes exciting, you know. The more the more plateaus you reach, and the more yeah. uh, growth that you get for with each psychedelic experience, too. Yeah. Um, I feel like these new baselines is how you measure that growth. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, and we talk about that a lot on the podcast, is like how it's almost a necessity to go through challenge and struggle and tragedy to get the most growth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I say frequently that I learn way more from my mistakes than I do from my successes. Absolutely. And uh, I learn a lot more about facing the challenging parts of myself through like shadow work and psychedelic work like that than I ever do having a novel fun experience on psychedelics like uh, I used to take them recreational. I had a had a blast, right? Yeah. That was all external experience and novel. But now, when I turn the lens back inwards, yeah. uh, the benefits there's so much greater depth to it. Yeah, you know. Yeah,
1: I like it. Yeah, I spent spent years with um, a Jungian analyst, mm. and um, this is kind of kind of post my military days when I was still rediscovering what the heck I'm doing with my life. Mm-hmm. And yeah just like there's so many layers and so many experiences that we have and so many opportunities to to jump into those experiences and really examine them and then um, you know especially with shadow work like there's um, so much gold in there if you can Mm -hmm. unpack it and like being able to to rest in that in that space and I think you know as a as a as a therapist you know um, you know if someone has trauma being able to go back and, and guide that person through being able to sit comfortably in that space of trauma and witness it. Mm. And then from, I, from what I understand from mm-hmm. that experience, it allows a person to gain
0: a new perspective, right. per se, and then heal. Yeah, it's almost help. like um, providing the safe space to allow someone to feel comfortable enough to re-witness the mm-hmm. trauma. But then, I mean, because everyone will tend to go to their um, their initial point of view, point of perspective during the trauma, like Mm. if they're re-witnessing, so maybe a first-person perspective, Um, but through work with them, you know, you can help them say like, okay, this is just one camera angle. Mm. Let's shift the camera angle over to the other person, like take their perspective, and what was it like for them, or what was, you know, can you take a different perspective um, where you disconnect your own personal emotional ties to it, and what it felt like, and and try to reprocess it from a different angle. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's fascinating how as humans we have the the capacity to actually take on these different angles and mm-hmm. look at our life from these different perspectives. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's anything that if there's anything that I've learned from the mushrooms it's that you know we can switch lenses mm-hmm. and switch views and and check out these things that are that
0: are important to us or necessary to look at from from a new light and a new angle, it's pretty fun. And so you brought up your military experience yeah. and I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, yeah. Because I think this ties in really well with what we're already talking about with changing your perspective, especially on things that happened in the past, right? Sure. Um, so I don't know much about your, your military school history. I know that you went to West Point mm-hmm. and decided that wasn't for you, so you left. Um, mm-hmm. So tell me about the process that led you up to wanting to go to West Point, yeah. what happened at West Point, and what happened immediately after, um, because while you're in that experience, like it seems like, um, you know, we feel lost at times. I have personal experience. I went to a, a military high school out okay. on the East Coast, Valley Forge Military Academy. And um, actually, a little bit familiar with Valley Forge. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I, w- I went to New Mexico Military Institute. Ah, I almost went there. Did you? Yep. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yep. So I, w- I went to a military high school, and um, you know, thrived and excelled with the structure and the discipline. But when I got to the higher levels uh, in the ranks, um, you know, I, I made first sergeant after my first year, and then I was in charge of three hundred kids my age. Yeah. You know, in a leadership position, which I did well at. I felt, but. Um, I started to look around, and people were getting promoted and getting awards based on who they knew mm. and not based on what they did, mm. so it was not based on merit, and I was not okay with that mm. with that system and i I went into military school wanting to pre- to prep myself to go to the naval academy, then uh, go into seal training mm. and stuff like that, and that 's what I had dedicated my whole teenage years to wow. doing and training for. Yeah. But then once in military school I saw the bureaucracy and, and the, the hypocrisy and, and I did not like the system and just decided for myself this is not for me and I dropped out of there. Um, drugs also played an influence in my decision to, to drop out. Um, I had been drug free up until age of 16 because I, my mom was a, an alcoholic, my dad was an addict uh, so I knew it ran in my family. Um, but actually discovered drugs first at military school Mm -hmm. Uh, first drug I ever did was an LSD trip with some friends Uh, we went to an amusement park Um, (laughs) before I smoked pot or cigarettes or alcohol or anything Um, so my mind expanded to these uh, these molecules and uh, yeah I went home for like a Christmas break and um, did some other interesting substances with some friends some MDMA and ketamine and just decided like hey I can't I can't continue to be interested in these molecules and also be in a structured military school environment so I'm going to choose to do this I don't like the systems that they have in place anyway and so now in my everyday life I try and I don't know I guess uh, engage that's that side of myself that still thrives for the danger and the, mm. the thrill seeking and stuff like that through like extreme sports and jitsu and um you know I want to do skydiving and bungee jumping, and I do firearms training, and so I get to yeah. do all the a lot of the cool stuff that I wanted to do in the military, but in the civilian world. Yeah, and so I feel like, um, yeah, I'd like to hear about your experience too, because all I know is that uh, you also did not like the systems around you. Um, that was Some, going on. something happened.
1: Yeah. it's 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 cool because we have a, a shared story there. Um, my plan was to be a career army officer, and I wanted to ranch infantry and go to ranger school mm. and then apply for special forces and see where that took me and i actually was accepted into the naval academy and had the same if i was going go to go to annapolis it would have been the seals mm-hmm. um you know army it was the green berets and that's
0: where i wanted to what i wanted to do i love <laughs> it when you hear someone telling your story it <laughs> seems like are you like a different version of me yeah like just <laughs> playing out a different consciousness yeah. and, and
1: it's it's similar so i mean for me Gosh, I, when I was nine is when I had made the the big decision that I wanted to go to, I wanted to be in the army Mm -hmm. and I told that to my dad and, you know, he planted a seed and he said, you know, Kev, um, if you want to be in the army, you're smart enough to be an officer and if you want to be in the army, the the best way to become an officer is to graduate from West Point.
2: Mm.
1: And I was like, all right. And that stuck with me for...
0: For 10 years. Wow. So your dad implanted a story in your mind, mm-hmm. and that story got personalized Absolutely. from the age of nine. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's so great. I feel like that happens to a lot of people, yeah. and they don't realize that it happens. Yeah. You know, they're like, why did I even end up down this pathway? Um, was it even my idea? You know, yeah. Or was it my parents' idea?
1: I, I've questioned that, you know, and it's... Um, I'm very grateful hmm. as well, because my, my dad... Worked his butt off too to help me get in there, um, you know. And in, in, in terms of, I think part of getting accepted into the any of the service academies also depends a lot on your connections. You know, you need to have a good academic track record. You need to have a strong extracurricular performance track record, uh, a demonstrated leadership track record, and then, you know, also you're you're getting interviewed by, um, you know, s- s- um, senators and, and congressmen for their their um their panels and then you get nominated and then you know if you know somebody who's in the administration or something who can write a letter for you or who's in congress who can write a letter for you it like all that stuff helps in addition to all of the skills that you cultivate as um as a student um and a teenager and yeah i just i never stopped playing army um i, I mean to the to the i mean i would i don't think it was it was intentionally um can't remember quite the word here but you know even even in high school I'd still dress up in fatigues on halloween and and do that and whenever we'd go on school trips in middle school and, and high school like I was the guy who was always camoing up and going mm-hmm. out into the woods and just <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know I think you know I I have a very strong I believe in this country and I and I really felt that like for me at that time I mean serving my country and um, waving the banner of freedom was very important to me, mm. and um, and yeah, so I I was accepted into West Point uh, in two thousand five. Um, I mentioned I spent a year at New Mexico Military Institute in Roswell, New Mexico, mm-hmm. and excelled there. Um, it was because it was my dream. I was living living my dream life, even through the suck and mm. and like the a little bit of the hazing and the the um a lot of hazing physical corrective training and yep. you don't follow orders and instructions yeah. and you know kind of the whole model where they're breaking you down and building you back up into the image of a military officer or a, or a service member most in an abusive way yeah i mean they certainly don't account for some of the trauma that occurs going through that kind of a, kind
0: of an experience my roommate in uh in military high school uh tried to kill himself wow um he was a uh, transplant from Nigeria I guess he came from a wealthy family in a government position Uh, awesome black kid Um, I forget his name even now but uh, yeah the the verbal abuse right in your face yelling screaming Mm -hmm. the you know the physical corrective action doing push-ups non-stop for hours or sitting you know Mm -hmm. chair position against the wall with your arms (laughs) up you know for hours on end you know the hazing getting um, you know blanket parties you know where they wrap their soap up in, in their towels and everyone beats you as you get. I never had you know, to go through that. Oh, yeah. Or yeah. like even to earn our place in the in the tribe, you know, we had to go through this cap shield ceremony where people would drag you out of your room in the middle of the night and you had to memorize this this honor book, yeah. you know, and they would put you up in this room in their lounge and it'd be dark and there'd be people pacing around you and breathing down your neck and, you know, you'd be holding the push-up position while you have to recite the book and like all these yeah. abusive things. And um, yeah some people snapped and he was one of them. He tried to jump off a, a second story um, staircase yeah. and uh, failed in his attempt but got sent home because oh. of it. So wow. uh, we had a lot of issues like that. A lot of kids left there more traumatized than when they came. Yeah, uh, It was unfortunate. I learned a, a statistic the other day from a,
1: a, another former service member friend mm. who said that the rates of um, veteran suicide mm. doesn't it correlates more with simply being in the military than having deployed mm. in the military. So just simply having spent a little bit of time in the military increases a risk for suicidality. Wow. Um, you know, whether or not that person was deployed. So they don't have to be a combat they don't vet. They to be a combat vet. Mm. They can just ha- have been in the military. Wow. Which is, um, I was shocked yeah. when I heard that. I don't know if it's 100% accurate, but I, I want to look it up and find out because that's pretty important. Statistic. Yeah, especially,
0: you know, if any listeners out there are considering military service and you're like, you know, I'm not going to get PTSD because I'm going to be on a ship the whole mm-hmm. time or because, you know, I'm going to pick this job or I'm not going to be sent overseas or something. Well, like you said, like it can cause trauma, just the training and the... Yeah. Uh, being broken down in, it, in and of itself can be traumatizing.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... You know, and, and I wonder if that, if that had an impact on me early on at the Academy because when I was at West Point... Um, I was there for three years, and it was in the, the first semester of my third year, um, my junior year, that I, things really started, started to go downhill. That's when I was diagnosed with major depression, and I started, um, you know, I was on a fixer and a sleeping aid, um, and I mean, you know, like it was, I loved it, and then something switched in my in just in my experience, and i kind of similar to what you were talking about when you were you were saying how you saw people getting promoted or being able to kind of skirt the rules and and weren't getting um you know weren't, weren't getting um disciplined for their actions or so because well and
0: just i like I was outperforming my peers yeah. and they were getting recognized mm. you know I was yeah. like, what the hell like yeah. that's not fair like i i I did my due diligence you yeah know? yeah
1: yeah, so mm. it's you know, there's a lot of things that happen at West Point. I met my mom. Um, I'm adopted. So I, mm. uh, my, my sophomore year, um, I met my birth mom. Wow. How old first, were you? I was 20, 21 my sophomore year. Nice. So I met my birth mom. Um, you remember the days of AOL Instant Messenger? Yeah. Yeah. So oh, yeah. I got, a, I got an, an AIM chat from my dad, and he said, Hey, Kev, your,
0: your birth mom wants to get in touch with you. I was like, whoa. Um, this is your adopted dad. He's mm-hmm. reached out to you? Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah he's my dad. Cool. Um, totally. well, I didn't know if you knew your bio dad or not. Either. I don't
1: know. He actually passed away Yeah, a couple of years ago.
0: I actually um, I was raised by a single mom um, and uh, numerous stepfathers along the way. One was actually an ex Navy SEAL, okay. also, who got me into the military, got me interested in the military. But um, I actually met my dad for the first time when I was 24 oh. as well, so early 20s. Um, oh. And I reached out to him. Uh, through letter and uh, yeah spent a week with him and then never wanted to spend any more time with him Wow! sounds like you had a much better experience meeting your mom yeah
1: (laughs) so it's good yeah she flew out after Thanksgiving and spent we spent just a couple days together I had a couple a a little bit of leave Mm -hmm. Um, you know and I like because it was just you know my dad raised me as a single father and he did an amazing job and instilled a lot of you know instilled a very strong moral compass in me and I, I feel like really looking back on this almost a decade later um, you know I I, I always kind of wonder like if I had not met my mom would I have graduated from West Point
2: Point?
1: Mm. Um, and I'm so thrilled that I did because I have a mom in my life now too mm. who's amazing and mm-hmm. two sisters who I didn't who I didn't meet until then and um, so that was powerful and like, so and like, I think really it was stuff sort of going downhill for me kind of psychologically. Um, it was starting like the second semester of my sophomore year. Um, you know, I was 21. You could, could drink on campus too. Um, there's a strong culture of drinking in the army and the military in general, right? Just as a way to blow off steam and, and have fun and kind of break away from the, you know, the, the regimentation of, the, of, of living that That's life. True. And, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a challenging experience. And then um, grades started to fail. And I started, even though I had this amazing group of friends there, I still felt a little bit, like, isolated and alone. And I can't really explain why.
2: Mm.
1: Um, I was a high performer while I was there, especially my first year at the academy, which is, I mean, one of the hardest years, obviously, because that's mm-hmm. your, you have no rank. You're, you're the, you know, the the, the dust they kick off the bottom of their boots basically it's where you are and, and and I loved it I was I mean I loved it I loved it it was exactly what I where I wanted it to be and then you know something switched and then depression started setting in and um when I got more responsibility it it felt like it it was too, I mean it was just too challenging I think to yeah. have that much responsibility um I was a platoon sergeant in my junior year, so I had um, 40 enlisted cadets, um, you know, pretty much under my command as well, and who I was responsible for, and, you know, with grades and keeping up academic performance and physical performance and um, military performance, I think it was just a, a whirlwind of chaos that I couldn't control, and, yeah, um... Kind of late in my junior year, I wrote an email to my my officer and all of my instructors and said I'm done. Um, I'm su- i 'm done i'm I want to kill myself i don 't want to mm. be here anymore and when you do that in the military, like they you know everything stops mm. they they put you on suicide watch um, and and this was this was after a couple of months of actually um, being on a effectser and and and
0: in psychiatry while being a cadet yeah, did you feel like the psychiatric uh, medications did uh, benefit to you or or harm to you I don't think it helped. yeah yeah my experience with antidepressants is is the same is that they they were not helpful especially coming off of them made it ten times worse yeah Um, so I consider myself a a psychiatric or pharmaceutical survivor yeah you know because yeah. i don't take any of those now if i don't need if i absolutely don't need to yeah. it sounds like you had the same experience yeah
2: i, I think did. there's
0: a lot of people out there too who are, who are struggling um with this mentality in our culture too to like you know fix everything with a pill fix mm-hmm. everything you know um but all these pharmaceuticals have really nasty side effects that people don't take into consideration which is another fantastic reason why we're moving forward on psilocybin you know yeah. it's one of the least toxic molecules on the entire planet um, yeah. you know so this is an amazing breakthrough and um, for those people out there who are struggling and on pharmaceuticals you know um, some people feel like you know they have no other option but to continue taking these things right um, right there are other options now there are you know and that's that's so cool um, when you when you left the military Academy what was it like right afterwards um, did you, were you, were you elated with your new uh found freedom or were you still in a depressed state
1: no I was still in a in a depressed state mm-hmm. and I was honestly drinking way too much mm-hmm. um I couldn't cope with the fact that the foundation for my entire existence I, at the time I felt had basically crumbled beneath my feet so i um is lo- it a, it felt like a complete loss of my sense of self
0: mm-hmm. and, identity and it, gone exactly mm-hmm. gone just well, your identity since nine, nine years old was military, mm-hmm. military, and so then... for 12 years, yeah. basically, it was... Yeah,
1: for 12 years. Wow. And they're just, you know, like that, away. And, and the Army, like, they did right by me. Like, I'm I'm so grateful for the military to, to have received a medical retirement from the Army. And you know, I re- receive a very small pension every month that basically helps cover my phone bill or, or grocery <laughs> expenses, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and there are some other... Some other small benefits as well. I I tried to go back to school using the GI Bill, but you can't do that as a, as a former service academy cadet. Mm. Um, there's a loophole there where it doesn't apply to to academy cadets. So they want you to finish um,
0: through their academy, probably. Well,
1: they no, they I I forget what it is because I I went through the VA system to try and get some of these benefits, and it it was just like one block after another, like oh you got to do it this way, you can't do it this way, and it just didn't seem very cooperative so i just said to help that i'm done with the mm-hmm. va as well mm-hmm. and um yeah i mean afterwards i struggled and and then what really like what really the, the moment that really changed my life um, at that time was was getting a dui um actually here in fort collins mm-hmm.
0: and and that's Welcome back <laughs> <I'm> just getting <kidding. laughs> i'm Welcome glad back to come attack. back in a, in a in a much better way you know like sure I have two DUIs up here, so... Do you, okay.
1: yeah. <laughs> Gosh. But that was like... Um, wow. I had to completely surrender. Mm. And I saw that, like, holy like, holy shit. I, I've, I, something's not right. This is, clearly is not working. Um, and I had to surrender to that system and, and go through that system for two years of basically mm-hmm. being on probation and going through the classes and losing my license um, and all that stuff. But that's the time where I... See, that was, so that, I mean, that was 2000. Um, I got formally discharged from the Army in December of 2008. It was May of 2008. Wow, 11 years ago now that I actually had my DUI.
2: Hmm.
1: Um, And so the DUI, so the, I guess I should back up a little bit, because my plan was to, um, I got sent on medical leave from the Army and then uh, was going to go back the following semester and start my junior year over again, and in between that time frame, I was seeing a psychiatrist here in, in at the Air Force Academy in the Springs, and that's when I got the DUI, and in that time frame, and so the question was, you know, Kevin, you have a choice now. Um, you can go back to West Point if you want, and you know, face the consequences of your your DUI through um, the military system, or you can. Um, Basically, surrender your um, your appointment to the academy and 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 receive a discharge. And for me, I was like, I am messed up. I have no. There is no way I should I can be responsible for. As an officer, it, it, it did not feel integrity for me to to be. Somebody with these kinds of mental issues that weren't being addressed. It's a very
0: responsible choice for someone in your state to be even able to consider
1: made the most sense to me. I mm-hmm. mean, I, you know, and I, I didn't, I mean, I I was a risk, mm-hmm. which meant that I'd be putting other men and women at risk, mm-hmm. which doesn't work for me. Yeah. And so I was like, I got to figure this out. And so I, I got out and got discharged um, and then floated for a few years and worked odd jobs and lived with my dad for a while and um, started kind of getting a little bit into self-help and meditation and then it was really this like this one strong psilocybin mushroom experience that really
0: changed the game for me. Um, and so that was going to be my next question like what yeah. is your pathway into the mushroom use? Um, so it sounds like it came after your military school yeah. experience so yeah. this is like mid-twenties yep. was, was your very first psilocybin experience and it was, yes. was it the first one that was the biggest, most profound one that you're referring yeah, to? Okay. Yeah,
1: because it was the, the first one that um oof, that just had me realize that wait a minute, I'm not alone, I'm not isolated. There's this I mean, the experience itself was was mind blowing. Um this deep sense of connection not only with the people who were around me, this new group of friends, um <clears throat> excuse me, and then also feeling this deep sense of, of connection with, with the environment that we were in and i was just like whoa mm-hmm. this is way different than anything i've ever you know
0: even thought about could be could possibly exist and when you're talking about um for those of you out there who, who are hearing this and you're like you're like trying to picture it cuz you don't have any experience um you know when when i t- when i've taken those uh mushrooms as well like it feels like you're in communion or communication with like trees and grass and bugs and like everything Mm -hmm. in your perceptual field um, you all of a sudden have an awareness of your connectedness to them whereas like in everyday waking consciousness we feel almost a duality like a separateness from like that's a tree and this is me but in the in the in that headspace um, you you can feel like the vibrations coming mm-hmm. off of things and you can feel like oh this thing's trying to communicate with me it doesn't use language but it's using something else and i can actually see and perceive this yeah. and feel it and so for those of you out there listening um these these medicines uh, and a lot of psychedelic drugs open up um pathways in our brains that are always there mm-hmm. but uh maybe just have not been used for a long time or we've forgotten how to use since we've lost our imagination in childhood. Right. Um, and then so the reopening of these things sort of shows you again, you know, um, how curious we really should be yeah. around us about everything. It's, yeah. it's so cool. So yeah. sorry, go on about your experience. No, yeah. th-
1: thank you. I mean, like really from the, the, the blades of grass to the clouds in the sky. Yeah. It was like this, this just visceral connection and. Communion and communication and like deep reverence as well mm-hmm. for the experience and and the people that I was with who had much more experience than I did were able to um, hold the space in a very welcoming and I mean, frankly ex- very effective manner. Mm. Um, you know, just knowing that I'm kind of a newbie in that area and um, yeah, it was an amazing experience and it was. It was that four to six hours, that the trip was awesome, and but it was really the the weeks and weeks and months afterwards that mm-hmm. really actually had the most profound effect. There, the integration process afterwards. The okay, here's what I've learned. Here's this new reality that clearly exists around me all the time. Your new it's baseline new plateau. New right? baseline pla- Exactly. <laughs> it's like I got to explore and I understand
0: <laughs> this a little bit. I get my footing. Yeah,
1: yeah. And so it was like from there. It's when I really realized that I actually had a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have to be a victim to my
0: my depression anymore. So I just want to take a pause here yeah. and, and just share about how important the integration is, mm-hmm. right? And this this is also something I wanted to bring up um, on the like on the coattails of three hundred one passing, you mm-hmm. know. Um, people are worried that there's going to be like a, a flood of uh, illicit drug use or something, you know, and there might be, you know, there might be an, init- an initial spike. Uh, I anticipate that that might happen. It may be in celebratory fashion, but then, uh, you know, it'll eventually peter out and go back down to baseline, just like with cannabis. You know, mm-hmm. there was a huge spike in the beginning, and now it's just like a normal thing. Yeah. Um, so with that, um, Integration. Yeah, so the integration piece I think is so important, and uh, I'm on the uh, MAPS integration, uh, psychedelic integration provider list for, for Colorado, uh, mostly northern Colorado, um, but I think it's important to point um, listeners of the podcast and people who follow you also because all these voters are following you on social media, and they're probably going to listen to this podcast, right. and they need to know that, hey, just because it's decriminalized doesn't mean like go out and just – have all these recreational experiences with it, the integration process afterwards um, with someone who knows what they're doing, like a trained integration therapist um, or, um, you know, a a shaman of some sort. I'm not claiming to be a shaman, but uh, uh, maybe a modern day one or something. But um, but yeah, the integration is is almost more important than the experience itself. Um, And without the integration, you maybe only get like 10% of the benefits or the potential that you could. Um, So for you listeners out there hearing this, make sure that and I'm sure Kevin advocates for this too make sure you yeah. find somebody who uh, knows their way around these headspaces, these altered states of consciousness who has experienced themselves and who's trustworthy um, and find some integration yeah get some get some therapy afterwards and before
1: yeah yeah that's I mean that's a really important point point. Mm-hmm. and we're actually very excited because there's this this gigantic network that already exists here Mm -hmm. along the front range um for support for integration for harm reduction for um learning how to properly cultivate so that you're you're doing it correctly and not putting yourself at risk by eating something that isn't what it's supposed to be Mm -hmm. you know so there's this um i mean even even if now like like Nobody can prescribe this for anyone. No doctors can do that, unless you're a an end stage, um, end stage patient who's exhausted all the all the other resources. Um, yeah, there are so many people who are ready to come in and, and plug in right now, who've already been doing this work for a long time, um, who can assist somebody in the the um, kind of the, the preparation stage and the integration stage. Mm-hmm. You know, they can't necessarily provide psilocybin mushrooms for you but mm-hmm. um you can prep your mindset mm-hmm. which is and end your intention behind the experience which is extremely important and honestly i think the best way to utilize um utilize mushrooms mm-hmm. as well
0: and there's also um still there's underground facilitators too mm-hmm. um, doing the work out there and thank thank you for all you mm-hmm. facilitators out there doing ethical uh and good work um because there are some some bad apples out there, certainly in any group um but yeah if you know so you you mentioned there's help in the preparatory stage there's help in the integration stage, but there's also help in the actuals uh, the actual altered state of consciousness yeah. right uh, like you said um facilitators usually won't um, provide medicine for you but if you have obtained medicine and you want uh, a sit they're called sitters if you want a sitter or a facilitator to kind of hold the space and make sure that your physical body is safe during your experience and uh, you want someone there to hold your hand if you start crying or or you want someone there to to help calm you if you find yourself uh, getting deregulated Um, those people are out there too you just gotta you just gotta search them out you know find the others yeah yeah yeah. Um, so after your initial psilocybin experience okay so sorry I just want to touch on that integration <laughs> piece we'll probably come back to that so after your initial psilocybin experience you get this great integration um, you're, you're you're recalibrating to this new plateau this new information that you have mm-hmm. and then in between that that experience and the path to decriminalize Denver hmm. How did, how did that unfold? <laughs> how did that time in between unfold?
1: Man, um I met an amazing woman. We hit we hit it off like immediately, which was um, which was awesome. And I really I really I started diving into the the new age um, kind of light worker philosophy for a while. Um, very interesting because I went from being very gung ho military to um kind of a little bit more I guess passive monk like Hmm. um in my in my mid-20s me too that's when I found buddhism exactly like flipped it's it was incredible yeah and I so I really started exploring um a lot of these more eastern modalities in terms of um studying yoga and studying zen and learning as much as I could about the nature of the mind and the nature of consciousness and and really starting to dive really deeply into what does all this mean and where is my place in it yeah. and and figuring out how to well how to find that spot in myself um where i could sit there and rest and like say okay here's where i am i feel good i'm you know i, I guess some delusions of grandeur and wanting to become enlightened and <laughs> do that whole thing when i you know it's i'm i'm happy that i went down that path because it wouldn't have i don't think it necessarily would have brought me here today Mm -hmm. Um, so I ended up um, really getting into meditation a lot Um, every day I'd sit for 30 minutes to an hour and had some tremendous experiences there and and I would oftentimes use cannabis as a tool to help um, orient myself in that space as well Mm -hmm. and um, I I went to I went and got a yoga teacher training certificate as well and um, got acquainted with that philosophy and that practice and and just started like, I mean, I, 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 guess thinking about it now, um, since I was working without a foundation, I needed to, to rediscover my essential self, you know, and like what it meant to be, what it means to be human and what it meant to be, you know, um, just to get reacquainted with, cause my heart was broken, mm. you know, and my, and my mind was broken and, um, I wanted to figure out why. And, and you know, as I mentioned earlier, I was with a Jungian analyst for about three years, which was, man, my dreams in that time. In right. a therapeutic context? In a therapeutic context, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I was, um, I I actually took myself off of Vexor, Um You did it yourself? I did it myself. Wow. It's um, dangerous. It is dangerous. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that may have, so, yeah, please don't do that at home. <laughs> um, wean off. Wean off any kind of antidepressants if if someone feels like that's the choice they want to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and I you know I wonder if that was more destructive than it was beneficial. But I I kept with therapy. I decided that a traditional Western psychiatrist or psychotherapist wasn't the best fit for me, mm-hmm. and I wanted to find somebody who can help me really kind of start digging into these unseen layers of my psyche and start to unpack this stuff and. Um, so I was very fascinated by Jung and and dream work and shadow
0: work. Um, Jung's one of my favorites. It's amazing. He wasn't. He was taught for maybe a week in my entire right? undergrad. Yeah, uh, I went to CU Boulder, and um, it was mostly Freudian based. Okay. You know, and they're teaching it. Yeah, a it, bit. it was disappointing for me going through. I had to do all my Jungian um, research on my own, okay. and you know, it, it didn't make sense because neurosis right there, right next to campus, right. Mm-hmm. And like, right. why don't we integrate these? Yeah, I kind of fell off the uh, the Western model um, and went largely in favor of the Eastern and Buddhist models of the mind. Um, yeah, and Jungian psychology and and uh, yeah, I like that you that you were engaging that.
1: Yeah, I actually I really miss it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I mean it was that, and I, at the time I was working at a health club, the front desk, and had risen the ranks from front desk guy to manager on duty, and and you know got a sense of responsibility again, kind of getting back into the, another leadership position. And, um, and then I actually went and worked with both my wife and I, before we were married, we both went and started working for um, a, what is it, it's called, uh, well, it was, an, it was an outdoor
0: at-risk youth rehabilitation like a wilderness, a wilderness uh, therapy. therapy. Mm-hmm. Wilderness therapy. Which that's, was... how, that's how my wife and I met. Really? Not a wilderness therapy, okay. but we both were working at a, a residential facility for at-risk youth girls. Okay. okay. Wow. Our, our stories cross paths in cross so paths. many different ways. That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, go on. Yeah, this, yeah. Was, in, this was in Utah. Therapy.
1: It was in Utah. Nice. So we would go every... We, we had eight days
0: on and six days off. Was it males and females? It was both. And was this yeah. one of those programs where you take them out in the desert for a number mm-hmm. of days? No, they're out there okay. for months. Okay, yeah, my best they, friend, they there. my best friend did a program like that in Utah. It might be the same one. Okay, this one was called Mountain Homes
1: Youth Ranch. Okay, and they've actually since shut down. Okay, um, a lot of those facilities. Our facility fun? that we met at is shut down now too. Is it? Yeah. yeah, there's a ton. There's a ton out there, and that was, that was really cool um, and very extremely challenging, mm-hmm. um, because I mean, first of all, these kids didn't want to be there, and they really weren't that. I mean, they weren't, like, inner-city, mm-hmm. violent, criminal teenagers. They were kids who, who I think, needed better parenting. Yeah, really. And, like, more attention and care mm-hmm. and love in their lives. And so they rebelled, and then they're... Um, I can't speak for all of them, of course, but, you know, a lot of these kids ended up there because their
0: parents didn't have the time for him. Right, didn't want to deal with mm, the kid, yeah. you know, acting out, so I'm going to send him off to this yeah, thing. to yeah. make you conform. And, yeah. and, and that's what happened to my best friend. They so they caught him with pot one time, and they're like, nope, we're not going to deal with this. You're what? going to go to this rehab what? for months out in the desert. Did they come in and, like, come in and grab him in the middle of the night and take him out there? Do you know the circumstances that I, around I, that? That I don't know, okay. um, but it... It makes sense because one year he was in school with us and then the next he was gone and I'm like where's my best friend Wow. like all of a sudden like no word Just nothing nothing yeah I think they found the pot and he was gone like within a couple of days oh my goodness and uh traumatizing but he didn't want to be there at first rebelled when he got there but by the end of it he had found a leadership position within that wilderness community and cool. And now he's one of the the most avid outdoorsmen's that I know. Like wow, cool. he taught me how to rock climb outdoors. Uh, we go backpacking all the time. Like he he's a survival junkie and he loves that that's because awesome. of that experience. You know, so he transformed this negative time in his life into something that he's like, you know, fuck you guys. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna take this thing that you're forcing me to do and I'm gonna rub it in your face and yeah. be the best goddamn <laughs> wilderness person I can. And that's I incredible. love that about him. Yeah, that's,
2: that's really cool.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, a lot of these kids got a lot of benefit from that. Yeah. Um, you know, it was really amazing to witness kind of the growth from these guys, when, they, when these these kids, when they first get there, and they're like, I don't want to be here, and they're rebelling, and then, um, you know, towards the end of some of these people's, some of these kids' programs, like, you could really see the transformation. Something about being in the middle of the woods with nothing around you, disconnected from technology and having a campfire every night seem to do the trick and having good role
0: models around as well not about not just about disconnecting from all the distraction uh, and technology around, but also it provides an opportunity opportunity to reconnect mm-hmm. right? reconnect with nature mm-hmm. and then but also eventually reconnect with themselves yeah. because we're all you know when we live in this society we tend to get disconnected from who we are because of all these devices and all these uh, this is my social media presence and profile and this is who i am on here and you know so we get disconnected from who we really are and being out there you're left with nothing but yourself and the stars you know so you have to reconnect yeah it's awesome yeah and most of these kids
1: had never been in the woods before Mm -hmm. in the high desert and so it was terrifying for them at first to be out there and then the the settling and then the the growth that occurred was pretty monumental Mm -hmm. Um, it was very I mean I think you could say it was mind manifesting it was psychedelic in a way because as you mentioned yeah they got to reconnect with themselves and then witness the grandeur of this earth that we live on and and gain some kind of appreciation for it I hope Um, so we we did that for a number of years and then no no Sheva and I my wife Sheva and I did that she did that for six months Um, I was there for about four months and then we were planning our wedding, um, and then the company shut down. Hmm. And so we had to cancel our wedding because um, we couldn't afford to... Because you don't, you don't get paid very much to go out there and do that. It's 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 barely a living wage mm-hmm. um, to be a, a counselor out there. Um, and so we decided, well, hey, we're going to go to California for a few years. And so we had a wedding that we were going to out there in California. And this was back in 2000. This was 2013. Now. Yeah, that's right. So went to California in 2013, went to our friend's wedding, um, spent a week on Mount Shasta
0: hmm.
1: afterwards, which I don't know if you've been there, it's a pretty I it's a pretty magical mountain. A lot of people talk about how there's weird um the vortexes up there where a lot of strange things happen on
2: mm-hmm.
1: on Mount
0: Shasta. Um, that's, that's a bucket list item for me in my life is to visit some of these, um, spiritual places on the planet, yeah, uh, yeah. where like they have, uh, they've taken like, um, magnetic readings and things and just like mm-hmm. weird stuff is happening. Like Machu Picchu is one of them. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, they're all over the world, but these, these very strange vortex yeah. spots. And and Shasta is one of those spots. Yeah. It's awesome. One I want the, to go.
1: One, I think it's considered one of the earth's chakras. Huh? Um, I forget which one, but it was... It was fun for us because normally you only get to spend three days there at the campground, um, and then we ended up spending, I think, like a week and a half because we somehow were able to get in with the the national forest guy that was up there, and he hmm. was like, "I need to leave for a few days. I like you guys. You can you need to run the camp. You need to run the campground. and Just make sure hmm. things are cleaned up for a few days. Just you know just make sure people are starting doing what they're supposed to do out here." And we're like, "Sweet, we'll do it." Um, and then, and then after that we. Traveled up to Mendocino County and lived off-grid on Timothy Leary's Pilots, former kind of hippie commune in the 70s, Hmm. and lived there for about six months. Um, Off-grid, Walter's the old man who lives on the compound there still, who I'm pretty sure... Is this the the mansion
0: that the Timothy Leary... I no, I don't. No, I don't think a so. Different one. Okay. I don't think
1: so. So this is this is a two hundred acre property just south of Mende- the town of Mendocino. That's uh-huh. um, nestled up right right up against protected national forest land. It's really cool. Yeah. About about six miles inland from the coast, uh-huh. so surrounded by redwoods, um, and we you know we trimmed marijuana and 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 uh, <laughs> <laughs> trimmed marijuana and and lived off grid for about six months out there. Uh, and then that's when our son was conceived. And we are like, okay, we need to grow up now and... Go back to society. Go back to society <laughs> and make sure he has a good support network and we have a good support
0: network and we can raise our son well. So mm-hmm. we packed it up and drove back. Now, your time there um, in the midst of the conception of your son, was yeah. this a time of uh, psychedelic exploration a and, bit. and things like yeah, that? A okay, bit. I a imagine bit. being in a space connected to Timothy Leary. I mean, you, you yeah. have to... Uh, almost take part um even just the whole part of the country yeah. Honestly, being right near the bay
1: area mm-hmm. um we had one night where we went out into the some friends of ours at the time lived on on hate street mm-hmm. in san fran and so we went to san fran for a weekend and had this incredible lsd journey and walked all the way from the top of of uh golden gate park to the bottom found this really cool playground that was <laughs> built for adults um and had a great experience out there with that. It was really, really nice. cool. And
0: then yeah. a little bit back on the land as well. Yeah, nice. we had some experiences too. Yeah, I'm hoping to um, to book a weekend up at Hunter S. Thompson's cabin. Where is uh, it? It's in uh, Aspen. Is it? So his wife is uh, she runs his foundation um, and like his uh, collects funds and things for scholarships for people and. Um, yeah as part of that fundraising, they're they're opening up his his cabin where he lived in on owl farm in, in Aspen for wow. for people to come and stay. so I would love to go up there and just kind of put my hands on the wall and soak up his DNA and <laughs> breathe the same air he breathed, and then also um, do some psychedelics up there and be in the same mindset that he was in many, many times up there. Yeah. It's kind of kind of cool to connect with um, with history in that way and we talk about this on the podcast too like being able to access the collective consciousness through some of these medicines um at much higher rates and i think being in some of those spiritual vortex spaces can enhance that ability but also being in places of uh significant history historical value Um, so like being in a like being on hate street um being in that environment with that sort of psychedelic history in the bricks can help enhance the setting Part of your psychedelic journey, or yeah. being on the, the Timothy Leary property, or you know being in Hunter S. Thompson's cabin, yeah. you know all these spaces have um, their own energetic impact. Yeah. I think that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. And that, out there on the land, the, the the trees and the
1: the everything was infused with that that, that just coherent collective consciousness mm-hmm. of of that time. Um, and then the guy who still lived on the land, the old, old man, Walter kept it alive because he, mm-hmm. he had his own private stash of, of Leary, Leary LSD, mm-hmm. um, man. And it was a really fun time and it was a little bit of a challenge coming back, mm-hmm. um, coming back to quote unquote reality and, and yeah. like the radio and driving and traffic and all that stuff took a little bit of time to get reacquainted with uh, the hustle of, in the fast pace of living, in a city, you know, and but it was the right thing, the right move for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was really around that same time that my son was born that I had learned about MAPS and the uh, the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies and the work they were doing with, with MDMA and veterans. And that's when I was like, whoa, I'm very interested in this. Um, very, very, very interested in this. And uh, for a minute there in 2014, um, I started getting into like social media and wanted to getting into flow state. I just learned about, um, you know, Jamie wheel and Stephen Kotler, um, and for your listeners who don't know who they are, they're, they're the executive directors of the flow genome project. So they're... I hope um, to get them on someday too. Jamie's cool. Mm-hmm. Jamie's um, cool. Stephen's really cool too.
0: I learned a lot about flow states in my uh, master's program in sports psychology because, yeah. um, uh, I can't pronounce his first name Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. Mi- Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. Yeah. <laughs> Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, uh, <laughs> Canadian researcher, I believe. Um he's the preeminent uh, father of flow state research and uh all you listeners can go out there and search his books out. Um but that's where I was really exposed to flow states and like just like your story again, you know, all these things for me started to all the pieces started to come together, you know, Buddhism Uh, performance mindset um, mental health uh, psychedelics martial arts philosophy like all these things come together Hmm. in my mid-twenties to sort of define my path and Hmm. it sounds like same thing happened for you too and then finding maps and then everything coming together um led you to, you know, this path that you're on now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my podcast app only lets me record our segments at a time. Okay. So we're nearing the end of our first segment, and uh, I'm really excited to get into the next segment with you where we can really break down uh, Initiative 301 and the decriminalized Denver effort. Um, so we're going to take a quick commercial break. Uh, so stick around, folks, and we'll be right back with more from Kevin Matthews. Just taking a quick commercial break, folks, to uh, remind you to check out our YouTube page. That's the Mind Ops YouTube page, as well as our website, www.mind-ops.com, for all your... Uh, general psychotherapy needs, uh, sport and performance psychology needs, uh, psychedelic integration needs, and addiction counseling needs. So go check those out, and uh, also check out our Facebook, check out our YouTube. Uh, There's a lot of useful resources on there, and uh, yeah, enjoy. Back to the show. All right, we're back from our commercial break with Kevin Matthews for the second segment of uh, episode 40 of Conversations with the Mind. And I want to really... so we, we went over a lot of backstory all the way up to this point in, in history. And, uh, well, really back to the beginning of your, your journey into the decriminalized Denver effort. Mm -hmm. And I was hoping that, um, before we get into what 301 is and, uh, what, what the current state is and what we're going to look forward to in the future, I'd like, I was wondering or hoping that you could break down the path, um, to decriminalize, um, and I'm bringing this up for very important reasons. Um, I'm sure you've read Rick Straussman's book. Some of it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So one thing that uh, Rick Straussman did for the psychedelic uh, community is he outlined in his book very clear pathways through the DEA red tape mm-hmm. to get approved for psychedelic research mm-hmm. on human subjects. And before that, it was nearly impossible for people to break through these barriers. Um, but once he did it and he publicized how he did it and he publicized how he overcame, um, barriers, Mm -hmm. um, now more people are able to do this work. And so I think it's extremely important for you to go over and share with people, you know, what was the path like, what barriers did you come up against? How did you overcome those barriers so that other people, other advocates in other States who are trying to do this work, um, I'm thinking Oregon and California right now. Yeah. Um can learn from your experience and uh you know maybe sidestep some of these barriers without having to make the same mistakes and reinventing, reinventing the wheel. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's with
1: like with everything this this started out as an idea. Um I was not the campaign manager at the beginning. Um another gentleman by the name of Tyler Williams basically brought a steering committee together Mm -hmm. and was talking about the point of that was to explore, um, what the possibility was for a ballot initiative here in in Denver. And so it's, I mean, it's really like, it's like, it's, it's a couple of different things and I would encourage people to, um, look up in their state what the laws are because, Surprisingly enough, there's only 26 states, I think it's 26 states in the union that allow for citizen-initiated ordinances to petition the government to change, to petition the people to have a vote that changes laws. Mm-hmm. Only 26 states you can do that. And, and, and the other 24 states, how does it need it to It goes be done? through the municipal legislature. So you, you, you would, would have to get a lawyer. You have to get a lawyer. You, I, you need a lawyer anyway. You need a lawyer anyway. You need a lawyer anyway. Okay. Um, someone who can speak to, the legalese um and actually write the bill itself Mm -hmm. um but for anyone who is interested like look at your state um if you can actually do direct petitioning awesome um if you can't find a lawyer and you would find um start conversations with members of your city council or even your state legislature um so the process was and for us it was first it was exploratory um you know at the time california had their california was the first to attempt uh they were looking for a ballot initiative to appear on the november 2020 or no I'm sorry november 2018 primary elections um and they didn't gather enough signatures But mm. so didn't, didn't even reach the the point of voting on it no okay no they needed and i mean it's just, it was a statewide um statewide decriminalization effort and I mean, gosh! In California, you need close to a million signatures. Hmm. Um, How many did to we need here? In Denver, yeah. we we only needed four thousand seven hundred and twenty-six. Oh, nice! In the state of Colorado, we would need about ninety-three thousand. Okay. And then you you typically you double that um, just to account for uh, people who aren't registered to vote, um, who sign it anyway, stuff that's not, um, you know, people who write down but it's not legible who they are. Um, so. So, yeah, we actually went through um, two iterations of our language before we had something approved. And so what it looks like is you have your, your steering committee and then um, very advisable to find an, an attorney, um, in our case uh, a criminal defense attorney or somebody who's very familiar with, with the criminal code mm-hmm. here in Denver or the state of Colorado. And then you basically you know gather a team together and start writing the language and you get the language written once the language is written you can then submit that to at least here in Denver we submitted to the city council first the Denver City Council and they have what's called a um, it's it's basically a, a question and, and review panel where they look at the language that, that you've submitted and they ask questions for clarification hmm. um, and then in Denver once you you sit down with City Council then you're considered certified and then the language gets sent over to the Denver Elections Division, and the, the attorneys at the Denver Elections Division examine the language to make sh- to really just make sure that it's um, very specific and that it doesn't, it's not gonna be confusing to voters. And so, we turned in our, our first, our first language was in March of 2018, and got through city council, and then Denver Elections rejected it, um, mainly because we were talking about decriminalization and still including civil penalties or civil fines for possession hmm. um we had also specifically um, um set limits on possession for for personal possession and for growing as well and when we got rejected some of us came back to the drawing board and were like you know we're shooting for November 20 or yeah um November 2018's election um we could tweak it just a little bit and then send it in and start campaigning, or we can change it um, and then most of us decided to change it because we wanted to go for f- like a full decriminalization where a person is not actually receiving any civil penalty for it for possession
0: right so you almost dropped a lot of the uh the specifics of the language like um no, get rid of the 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 whole possession out of the language, get rid of the whole um civil penalty a part out of the out of the language and now with the language as it as I'm reading it off your website it says mm-hmm. adopt an ordinance to the Denver revised municipal code that would make the personal use and personal possession of psilocybin mushrooms by persons twenty one years of age and older the city's lowest law enforcement priority, prohibit the city from spending resources to impose criminal penalties for the personal use and personal possession of psilocybin mushrooms by persons 21 years of age and older, and established the psilocybin mushroom policy review panel to assess and report on the effects of the ordinance. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like, you know, in this new iteration, some of the specifics around um, amounts was taken out, taken out, things like that, but you still have stuff in here about, um, you know, uh, you know, what is, what is the, the legal consequence is going to be, well, lowest possible. Yeah. Um, enforcement. Enforcement. Yeah. Uh, no money spent on it. Right? right. So, so you still have some of that language in there, but it almost in, in a broader sense. It's know? much broader. Mm-hmm. It's much broader. I yeah. like it that way. Like the Thank broader you. brush. Yeah. Um, I think is beneficial for us. And now in the long run, I think it's going to open up more doors than it would have been if, if it would have been so specific. I
1: think so. Yeah. We'll, like we'll see. Cause it's, this is very important because we're talking about a, a naturally occurring molecule medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I like to say it's a medicine. Me it too. a lot of potential medical value, mm-hmm. right? And, we, and like, I know that it works for me personally and that it's currently being prescribed to some people as a medicine by qualified psychiatrists. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like the, like this is something that comes out of the ground. It's a mushroom. Um, there should be no limits on possession. Um, you know there should be no limits on use now we did say in the language because what you're reading here is the is the ballot title and then there's about two and a half more pages of the actual language Mm -hmm. which I'll totally get into Um, but specifically what's really important here for people to understand as well is that this is not legalization legalization implies some kind of a implies um, um, a regulated model like with marijuana here in, in Colorado or alcohol or tobacco these things are regulated they're taxed um, you, you, have, know, to to you yeah. have to be licensed to you have to be licensed to distribute right like all of those things are not what applies with us mm-hmm. um, so no shops no sales no distribution this is simply about personal use mm-hmm. 100% personal use so does that mean does that include personal growing it does okay yep yeah. nice. so it's the personal possession and personal use of psilocybin mushrooms um, fungal matter containing psilocybin psilocin, baoocystin mm-hmm. and norboocystin mm-hmm. which are the four primary um, uh, molecules that come inside of a, a mushroom that had a that, psychoactive mushroom um, and then personal propagation or cultivation is also in our definition of personal possession so individuals can grow at home
2: mm-hmm.
1: as well um, so yeah that's we felt that was very important to protect a person's natural right to use something that Mm -hmm. can be so tremendous and and beneficial that comes out
0: of the ground and i just want to um bring up something that just popped my head before i forget but there's nothing that i've read in the language and maybe you can uh, shine a light on this too uh, nothing that i've seen written about restrictions on where someone can personally use their psilocybin mushrooms so Mm -hmm. um, like with cannabis it's very clear that you know you, you're only allowed to imbibe cannabis on a private property mm-hmm. right now we're moving towards social cannabis clubs which is awesome yeah um so community spaces where you could go out and smoke cannabis it's not you can't like go out and even smoke a joint on the sidewalk out in public right. uh, it's still not legal to do that right. so i haven't seen anything in the language as far as psilocybin goes i I anticipate most people will want to. Well, I can't. I can't really put my finger on it because I used to want to do mushrooms and like go out into public and like interact with the community on these medicines. Yeah. Um, a lot of people are wanting to do this personal work in their own space, in their house. Um, so I think that's one thing too that that should be discussed. Sure. Um, you know, what are the laws around? your actual ingestion of mm-hmm. the psilocybin mushrooms should people mm-hmm. be staying home and doing that there or should they be um or are they okay to you know go out and in, into the mountains and do it or what, i mean what do you think well well so in the language we we did stipulate that there's
1: no no public display okay right no public display so that's the actual public display of of mushrooms so not like um, yeah
0: like holding it out holding in your hand your in public hand in public okay
1: um and i think that in in terms of, because a lot of this is about responsible use, mm-hmm. right? So um, there are different definitions of what that looks like. Some people are more comfortable, are, are comfortable being out in public um, under the influence. I don't know if I would necessarily recommend that as a good option mm-hmm. with this new law, because like, honestly, this is a very fragile time right now. Right.
0: Um, it's a very important opportunity that we make sure yeah. we're very careful, yeah. and that's part part of the main reason why I wanted to have you on so soon after this is because yeah. people out there who are getting excited for when this thing actually goes into effect later yeah. this month, you need to be aware, like, hey, this is this is a, a turning point in history, yeah. and this is an opportunity being afforded to us that the generation prior to us had stripped away from them. Right. So we need to like use this. To the best of our ability, with, with uh, common sense, you yeah. know, and not abuse it like it was before, and have it taken away again,
1: right? Yeah, because there, you know other people's entire life's work in some ways are at risk here. If we're talking about right. um, my future know, life work, you, <laughs> Is well, at we're, risk? We're, yeah, seriously, like it's. Um, I think one thing we did very well with our campaign was actually linking, the boots on the ground with the brains in the lab, um, especially in the last. Um, really two months before the election, we were able to really link up with researchers
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, and get some feedback um, and names that your audience would probably be familiar with, I can't really share right now. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, these are people who are very important in the, the, on the research movement. And um, I mean, one of these individuals probably dedicated 80 hours of his time over the course of a few weeks, helping us really refine our language um, and make sure that we're representing the research with integrity. And also messaging that to the public with integrity, um, but I think maybe before I dive in, there's mm-hmm. a little a couple more steps here yeah, yeah, before yeah. we got like before we actually got to where we were two days ago. We, sure, we, I'm we, just we, so we excited. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I am jumping forward. <laughs> no. So it's like yes, yeah, so you, you get your language approved. Like that's the biggest thing. Once your language is approved in Denver by by the elections division, and then you start you start collecting signatures. Hmm. Um, in Denver, we had to collect um, four thousand seven hundred and twenty-six. Valid signatures from city and county of Denver registered voters, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and so we ended up. You always kind of want to double it, especially for local ballot initiatives, Um, because we had we had um, a lot of signatures like from Boulder, who like they ended up. No matter how much we tried saying, hey, this are you a registered city and county of Denver voter? They would say, yeah, 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 I am. And Then still sign it because it's so exciting. Um, So we ended up turning in. Just over 9,500 signatures, oh. in,
0: and we had three months to do that. And that's, that's not very many. I just looked up um, in, well, I guess this is Colorado, registered voters. Do you know how many people are registered to vote in Denver? 420,000. 420,000, yeah. and you needed 4,000.
1: 4,726. So like 1% pretty it's, much. Um, so what they based that number off of turnout in the previous election cycle. Okay. So for so different five, areas, it'll be different. Um, Signature wise? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For like for different cities, yeah, yeah. it'll be different. Okay. Um, so for us, it's like it's 5% of the turnout from the last municipal election. That's how they determine that number. Okay. Um, so for example, we just had nearly 180,000 people turn out for this election, uh, which was his- extremely historic for Denver. We haven't seen numbers like that for turnout in. 30 years
0: wow, so in the th- city. Do you think it was primarily because of this initiative? I like to think that we had something to do with it. Oh, I think so too. I think so too. Because I didn't see any other uh, initiatives on the ballot that were that's particularly sparked my interest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean,
1: like, for example, the next time around, um, um, organizers will need to get really, I think, whatever 1,800 times 5 is, so close to 10,000 mm-hmm. instead of 4,720. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, so we collected signatures and man, that was down to the last minute. Um, mm-hmm. the day of the, our, our, due date was January 7th. We started collecting in mid-October due date was January 7th and we're going through, I mean, one of my favorite moments was four degrees on new year's Eve outside of the film auditorium, um, where STS nine was playing <laughs> and just hitting the line and just talking about this campaign and, and getting signatures uh, we had our most success at grocery stores uh-huh. i would I would not advise like if i would not i would say do not go to venues mm. um to collect your signatures, go to grocery stores, go to coffee shops. Grocery stores are awesome though because they're people who are most likely local um they're local whereas if you go to you know a venue in Denver you traveling people, got travel people in. coming in mm-hmm. for these shows right or you go to a football game it's people coming in from all over the city and not just denver so um you know, Of course, that'll vary from city to city across the country, right?
0: So target places where the locals go.
1: Yep. Okay. Grocery stores, um, and you said Target, maybe places like Target or, you know, Walmart or or places like that in the city. Um, That, I think, would be the most effective, at least from our experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, yeah, we turned in our signatures on on January 7th, had a big press conference. The press had a lot of fun because they were like, you guys are, first of all, no one expected us to even make it that far. Mm. Um, the Denver elections guys were like, good luck getting your signatures, have fun. <laughs> you like, watch us. And then, Yeah, and then we walked in on January 7th with, with almost 10,000 signatures, and the press was just like, holy smokes, you know, it was, it was a fun day. Um, just kind of one of those pivotal moments where um, we made it this far. And then we had, the way it works in Denver is we had, th- the Denver elections had three weeks to count them. And so we were basically sitting on pins and needles for three mm-hmm. weeks, waiting to hear the results.
0: That's, um, that's sitting in that, in that quiet stillness you're yeah. talking about. Like, oh man, yeah. what's coming
1: next? <laughs> Trying not to like, think too much about it exactly. because it, it's out of my control at that point. Yeah, yeah. Right? <clears throat> um, and then I get the phone call on February 1st from one of the Denver election staffers, and he says, pretty much exactly like this, he says, hey Kevin, so uh, we have reviewed your signatures and it turns out that you're sufficient and you've qualified for the ballot <laughs> i was just
0: like ah! like spit it out it's like, ah! like he was, like was user's having fun on a purpose you know yeah. to, to get me riled up a little bit well sure imagine you you're that guy I right i bet that guy is gonna have that story for her. he's like i got to make the phone yeah. call to say it's good to go man you get to you actually have a campaign right. now Um, and then with that it was like campaign mode Mm
1: -hmm. Um, so mostly outreach and you know outreach meeting how are we reaching voters Um, knocking on doors hosting events um, standing on street corners talking to people and also where's our advertising going social media mostly so all of those parts together you need resources for that you know literature posters
0: postcards um, you know, half-page flyers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I so love. Like I love the approach you guys went with the educational. You know, you're like, uh, you know, let's push out as much education as we can mm-hmm. to fee- to people and let them know that this is not a harmful drug. That this is a me- you know can be used as a medicine. I feel like a lot of the people who were who were uh, in opposition to it initially yeah. uh, were just ignorant to it. You yeah. know, um, and the more I talk to other people about it um, and and inform them, the more I, I see a good response you know people open up they're like oh like I may never use it myself but I I know somebody who, who could probably benefit from yeah
1: yeah that was really our experience too throughout yeah. the campaign I mean it was in many cases individuals who were initially opposed to it was simply because they weren't educated about it right mm-hmm. and so you know mushrooms fall into the same category as heroin right. in their minds
0: and of course they're two completely different substances mm-hmm so you felt like the educational approach would be another suggestion you'd have like for for others like make sure like don't just get it on the ballot but you got in order to even get that far you have to you have to change the knowledge base of the Mm -hmm. culture right we have to re-inject you know new research findings and and you know be educated from our standpoint too like we can't just be out there being like yeah man let's all just trip and let's just have fun and no. you know it, nothing's gonna get past <laughs> that way you know we have to be very pragmatic about it because uh, yeah. we're we're intellectual people you know we're not yeah. we're not burnouts we're we're a very um eclectic group of people and we're very yeah. intelligent you know Everybody extremely can. so we need to put forth that that face t- yeah. to this thing yeah yeah
1: yeah, we, we really had the mission to, to rebrand the image of of mushrooms yeah. away from the kind of the stigma that existed from the flower power 60s hippie culture, mm-hmm. right? Um, and more into this, like, we're professionals, we're intellectuals, we work, we're not, you know, we're, we're very self-motivated, mm-hmm. uh, we believe in this. And so consistently both putting out that image of professionalism
2: mm-hmm.
1: and also education. And I think... Um, an extremely important component to the education piece is being upfront about the risks because there are risks, mm-hmm. and there um, most of the risks can be mitigated by things like harm reduction and mm-hmm. simply being educated on mm-hmm. how to use and set and setting and, and things like that. yeah, responsible use, just and, like with alcohol, yeah. there's
0: risks, responsible use. With cannabis, there's risks, responsible use. I'm sure the media had had a bit of a field day with you in the beginning uh, because they're always quick to point out. Uh, bad trips, mm-hmm. you know, and negative things that can happen, which are, which do happen, but are few and far between, you know. In, yeah. in, you know, they just get the most press. So, yeah. how would you, not only uh, navigate like negative media and and you know people, you know, the media trying to impose this cultural, um, uh, this cultural absence of knowledge. Right. of this, uh, or ignorance, the cultural ignorance, and they're imposing this on you. How do you mitigate that? And how do you also mitigate, um, during the midst of the, of the, the campaign, like, um, you know, there's bad stories popping up of people, you know, abusing, these substances here and there, and the media will, you know, shine a light China on that. Line. And how do you how do you mitigate all that throughout this yeah. to to stay to stay positive for the voters?
1: Well, I mean, thankfully during our campaign, there yeah. there wasn't too much kind of media exposure as to the um, people who, who made some who may have made some mistakes while mm-hmm. under the influence. Um, funnily enough, Nine News here in Denver just ran a just ran a piece yesterday of really actually tragic. Um, gosh, a guy was caught in, in Nebraska with um, open open containers in his car of alcohol and a minor in there with him, but also um, like 30 grams of mushrooms, mm-hmm. over 80 hits of LSD and other paraphernalia. And that would have never made news coverage mm-hmm. had it not been that we had just won this election. You know, So it seems like in many ways the media will start potentially taking advantage of some of these stories just mm-hmm. to reinforce that public narrative that these things are quote-unquote bad. Mm-hmm. And so we have a very know, a huge responsibility here. Um, we were we were lucky with our campaign. We flew under the radar for essentially the entire campaign. We had no organized opposition. Nobody was spending money against our campaign. Um, you know, we didn't. Have, no one believed in you. No one believed. <laughs> no one believed, no one believed, that, one believed you, yeah. that we can do it. So, you know, now I mean, especially with these other movements in in Oregon and in, in California, um, a massive PR front is going to be necessary because they will be in the public eye now mm-hmm. now that we've been successful in Denver and really it's a great opportunity because we, we get to educate people and, and share the right information and um, you know whenever the, the media stuff if the media stuff happens like there there is a risk people do people will make mistakes just like mm-hmm. they make mistakes um, with cannabis or alcohol yeah, or prescription you know, pills or... You know, I mean, how many DUIs are there every single day yeah. and, and fatal accidents from that, you know, which, by the way, don't happen very much at all um, with psilocybin, you know, and, and kind of bringing in bringing in the um, driving under the influence piece that a lot of people were concerned about. It's like, well, I mean, I would argue that most people understand that you're, most people, I I would say, would not be inspired to get behind the, the wheel of a car when you're under the influence of, of mushrooms. And if that person does, then we already have laws in place to um, deal with drivers on the road who are a risk to themselves or others. You know? So that
0: was one of the most successful pieces of the um, the recreational cannabis passing is that, you know, they said in their campaign, we, we're treating this like alcohol, mm-hmm. you know, having the same, you know, you're allowed to imbibe on your own, just don't get behind the wheel, mm-hmm. right? So treat it like alcohol. And I feel like, that was a successful tact to take. And with the mushrooms too, like yeah, use them on your own. But don't get behind the wheel, right? Don't yeah. operate heavy machinery. Yeah. You know, there's there's a, a like a caveat or warning on the label.
1: oh they all come exactly. They all come with warning labels. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I think just because mushrooms are just so new for a lot of people, um, in terms of you know, really like there is a strong culture of use. Denver's a microcosm of that. Mm-hmm. The Front Range is a microcosm of that. It exists throughout the entire country. It's just not brought into public awareness throughout the world, really. In the whole yeah, you know, I mean, clearly the whole world, you know, mm. and um, it's not so much in the public awareness. It is now, um, you know, and I'm not sure if you read Michael Pollan's article that he put in the, in the New York Times
0: yesterday. I, I briefly I didn't read the actual article, but I read a review of the article okay. um, that was being really critical about. Uh, the, the writer thought that he was flip-flopping between advocating for mushroom use, but then also yeah. saying, you know, um, yeah. this is not a good thing or something and like that. I think in many cases, the editors at the Times
1: changed a few things. I think things. they took
0: their liberties with it, for yeah. sure.
1: Yeah, because pollen did say that he would, like, if he... He was actually on a national news broadcast, I think at CNN, he was being interviewed, and he said that... pollen said if he lived in Denver, he would have voted yes on this. Um, what we've done now is we've sparked this national conversation mm-hmm. where it's important to have both sides where you know potentially a, a legalization model in terms of, of being able to prescribe medically should should be left towards the FDA process and the DEA regulatory process right like or the, well the FDA regulatory process all the researchers at, at, at um, Hopkins and NYU and you know Hefter and, and Beckley and maps like that process absolutely should stay intact at the same time um for these other states and organizations that want to start up their own ballot initiatives um you know it's now a viable option but there you know there is at least from what we've learned there's a way to go about it that can be successful and we, and we, we just barely inched by mm-hmm. you know we were down um at 1 a.m man and our, our we had a watch party
0: um Awesome election party. night on election night watch party. It was amazing. I think I saw a picture you guys posted of that uh, yeah. where you guys got pizza or something.
1: Yeah, uh, that was that was um, the next, night, the next after night after we won. We won. Yeah, that the was the next night.
0: That was at my field director's house,
1: um, our field director's house, and uh, but no, it's like because we posted the the initial results at seven p.m. That's when they showed up, and it's like a it, it was like a. A hole got punched in a space capsule, and the air got sucked out of Frid. the room. Yeah, it was just like we were all like, "Cause I was stoked. I was on the mic and had the had the the projector, and um, you know, scroll down, scroll down, scroll down. Up oh, forty six to fifty four, and against. And I was like, "Well, it's early, guys. We're still here. <laughs> you know." It was. Um, it was. It was actually pretty easy for me to maintain positivity and stay and keep faith. Um, but it was like, you know, and, and we kept, as the, as more results kept coming in that night, we were inching closer and closer and closer to 50%, mm-hmm. um, and it was at, at 1 a.m. when they posted the final results for the day, and we were at 48.3 to 51.7 against, and I learned that there was still a quarter of ballots left to be counted, um, all from election day,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which as we talked about earlier... Um, tends to traditionally have a younger turnout on election day and so i went to bed feeling pretty calm it was a it was a busy day i needed some rest um and i woke up in the morning and, and kind of rolled over and, and looked at my wife sheva and, and i said we're gonna win today um and then the whole day was pins and needles mm-hmm. like oh my goodness because they were counting a quarter of the votes mm-hmm. counting 40 votes that day so they were working hard at Denver elections. Um, yeah. And then we, we got the news. It was... Holy smokes. Mm-hmm. The glitter has settled mm. a little bit. Because now it's time, like, you know, there's a lot more work to do. But right. I, This opens the door for the work. I think in many ways, yeah. 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 I mean, this is about... This is what happens when a small group of dedicated people get together who are passionate about this and, and well-informed and educated. And... um you know have a dynamic presence who want to make this happen and anybody um, anybody can do this if they want to
0: so you describe you know maintaining the positivity when when everyone else was looking at it like oh we lost you know and I I can't help but think that the universe chose you specifically to be in the position that you were in because we needed somebody just like you to maintain that positivity when the rest of the state was bummed, <laughs> like that we had lost. And you're like, "Okay, guys, I'm seeing the same results, but we can still do this." You know, like you were the only one. Um, it's a and, couple. It was yeah, a, it
1: was a couple of us that were holding a very strong intention.
0: And we needed, yeah. we needed you to do that. So thank yeah. you for doing that. And you, <clears throat> I don't know if you, I mean, you probably, maybe you have thought of this, but you know, in 20, 30 years when the history talks about the reemergence of, uh, legalized psychedelics, you're going to be a prominent figure in those books. And, um, you know, how does it feel to be a part of psychedelic history? Number one, and I'm sure it's uh, awe-inspiring, but also, yeah. you know, I'd like to hear your reflections on your personal growth process going through this, Yeah, you know, cause I'm sure you grew a hell of a lot. You know, this was a hero's journey in and of itself. Yeah. Um,
1: I have a lot more work to do. Yeah. It really illuminated that in a huge way, just personally. Um, Would I I do a ballot initiative again? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, like, for me, kind of moving forward, um, I hope that I'll have a little more time now to... I mean, like you were saying earlier, you were getting back into... Kind of some of these military style flow state um, um, activities, mm-hmm. which I haven't done that in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to get back more into that stuff. Get
0: you into jiu jitsu. I you know,
1: my, got some buddies who are like, hey, you got to start doing, you got to start rolling. Mm-hmm. Like, you got to get into jiu jitsu. And one of, one of the um, original petitioners, one of the, one of the five people who, who um, basically sponsored, five Denver citizens who sponsored the bill initially, he, he, he runs a, a hemp company and, and he's, he lives right near me jiu-jitsu is on the on the radar for sure yes um, it was but it was, it was mostly like in many ways um, tapping back into the leadership skills that I learned when I was at the Academy because they were there they were just lying dormant and then figuring out how to how to fuse that skill set with um, this highly integrated and, and networked and and frankly um, uh, I mean Learning how to fuse it with the mushrooms and mm-hmm. what the mushrooms want and, and what the mushrooms want are is really, you know, it's, it's very highly organized decentralization in many ways. Because you have, um, again, these different nodes that can reach out independently and make contact with other nodes and then create synergy there. And so, like, my philosophy for this whole campaign has been, um, you know, leader, leader to the best of my ability that I could. I mean, I made some mistakes along the way um, Mm -hmm. in terms of being in this new leadership position. Um, It was very important for me to make sure that the individuals who were on our team, and I would recommend this to anybody who's who's running a campaign, is that everybody is an influencer, everybody is a leader, um, everybody has a role to play. And so um, really taking care to make sure that the right people are in the right role where...
0: They don't have to be inspired; they're self-motivated right. to lead. This, uh, man, getting back to you know, just some of the uh, the inspiration you get from a psychedelic experience of the connectedness. Um, it's the way you describe it. It sounds like this community of psilo- of uh, psilocybin users and psychedelic users have taken their experiences in connectedness from their their psychedelic journeys and have integrated. The lessons learned now and informed the way that they have approached this, uh, you know, their efforts. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so now this team that you're talking about is all s- psychedelic informed, mm-hmm. right? And has a greater understanding of connectedness and you know, um, a non-systematic type approach. Like, let's let's uh, let's not have a hierarchical system. Everybody's opinion matters. Everybody's opinion counts. Um, and let's you it's it's yeah. let's, let's utilize every single node
2: yeah
0: uh, i look at other political campaigns and there's very much a hierarchy mm-hmm. you know like everyone reports to this guy and like mm. everything has to go through him to make the decision well no this this is a more organic mm-hmm. uh, model mm-hmm. and it's it's psychedelic informed in a way mm-hmm. i love that and i <laughs> think that uh for other people pursuing this path in other states and in the future um we should for sure, be drawing on our knowledge base that we've gained from the psychedelics to help inform yeah. our our path yeah
1: yeah absolutely i mean there so there that was probably the one of the biggest challenges because uh, we, we definitely had that non hierarchical hierarchical yeah. approach, and that was very important. We were also an organization as well um, you know it was a non nonprofit corporation and there was a there was a committee, and there were um not board members but but the petitioners kind of acted as a board mm-hmm. and and so like the challenge there was holding the tension between having this little bit of a hierarchy you know I'm the campaign manager, Travis was the field director, hope was the secretary um you know like really so like what it what it really boiled down to was open lines of communication mm-hmm. and um not um Not letting like really like ego get in the way with with quote-unquote position Mm
0: -hmm. you know and so so, again psychedelic informed yeah yeah. let deflate the ego and open up connections
1: yeah yeah exactly and that was how we were successful yeah Um, like really honestly that like being able to to have faith and trust in the people who said they could do a job and they do the job and
0: um, I mean it was magical
1: especially the way that it turned out it was even more magical
0: (laughs) so now that we've reached this um, this new plateau in our uh, in our efforts across the world to to, you know to legitimize psychedelic medicine again Mm -hmm. um, what do you think from from your personal standpoint what are some of the warnings and cautions that people should abide by with this new opportunity so that we can protect it and and uh, make progress moving forward. Yes. What are some of the pitfalls that we should uh avoid? Yeah. Um the the
1: biggest pitfall to avoid is well, if we go back and look at what happened in in the 60s and 70s, um you know, this is So like, for example, like with Tim Leary, and Tim Leary being called out by Nixon as one of the most dangerous men in America, you know, um, at that time, of of course, the country was going through radical revolutionary change and really diverging worldviews. You know, we may be in a similar place right now with the emergence of these new technologies and the emergence of, um, kind of different social contracts that are, that are happening right now in Mm -hmm. terms of how people relate to each other and, in these issues and so um, I think and, and I think that in the 60s the kind of the psychedelic revolution that happened back then was very much not only counterculture but anti-culture mm. and and that was a threat to the establishment
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, kind of in, in Michael Pollan's words we had a whole swath of a younger generation getting this massive download and, and rite of passage that was completely unfamiliar territory for um, the older generations at that time and especially the people in, in the
0: government. And those people at the time had almost zero integration available for them yeah. after their experience. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. And so these people are having these profound experiences and then no no foundation, no guidance on how to apply it properly. Right. And then, you know, people are going out and... and in active resistance against yeah. government you know yeah. forcing more resistance from the government yeah. you know and prohibition yeah. and things and i mean if you look at other cultures mm-hmm. traditionally across the
1: ages they had a structure they had integration mm-hmm. they had you know pre-ceremony
0: rituals mm-hmm. um, they had priests in ancient egypt that would yeah. they would help you prepare and integrate before and after you know
1: yeah and then the greek was the greek kaiqian and like um I mean, first of all, psychedelics have been around in Western culture for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the rites of Eleusis in Greece, where once a year the entire population, except for the slaves, could go and participate in this ritual where they drank um, a brew that was most likely um, a derivative of ergot, which, which was like an LSD experience. You know, But there was ritual and there was a, there was a cultural foundation for that. Um, I think we have an opportunity now is to build a new cultural foundation for this because it's mm-hmm. um, it is psychedelics are here, psilocybin mushrooms are being used today right now. People are still being criminalized for them, you know, even in this state mm-hmm. right now. Um, and so we we have to take great care that we do this responsibly, and that we honor you know we honor the the wisdom of of the elders who came before us. In many ways, those elders are. The researchers who are still doing the work and have been doing so for thirty years, um, the elders are also people who are not the researchers, but who have still been doing
0: this work underground for a long, long, long time. And so I think even honoring the memory of people like Marina Sabina yeah, and, you know some of the yeah. the old school people who are no longer with us. Yeah, one hundred percent. And like, the ancient, you know, traditional uses as well, shamanic uses. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, recognizing that this this isn't like. Um, not going about it haphazardly Mm -hmm. and but going about it with intention Mm -hmm. um you know it's because this is you know this is a a a very grand opportunity that we all now have to you know you and i and and, um, all the people you work with and, and who are in this field and the people with who are with decriminalized denver and our campaign like um everyone we've made contact with again we're all influencers here we can all make an impact for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. And so um, taking great care, keeping reverence for mushrooms as a medicine, understanding the nature, it's understanding it's mycelial nature, it's, it's networked nature, it's interconnected nature, um, where, you know, like I, like I said before, leader leader, there's a lot of people who can make a difference here. Mm-hmm. Um, And I I think in terms of public education, again, coming back to being very open about the risks and just saying, which are, like, for example, um, you know, we know that mushrooms are are physically
0: safe for most people. Um, Even with uh, most medications, correct? Like, there's very um, few contraindications with psilocybin? I'm not 100% sure. Um, I think as opposed to, like, like ayahuasca or peyote or something that have very strict restrictions um, on certain... Pharmaceuticals. Uh, I haven't heard too much about counter-indications, but... You Probably know better than I would, since yeah. you're you're one of the
1: integrated therapists with sure. maps. You know, but the but things like, um, well, if you have a, a a genetic predisposition towards bipolar and, and schizophrenia, probably mm-hmm. not recommended. Mm-hmm. There is new research coming out regarding schizophrenia, mm-hmm. and we actually had somebody early on as we were connecting collecting signatures who said that mushrooms are the only thing that helped with her schizophrenia so um being open about the risks being very we have to educate people about about harm reduction um you know so set setting you know intention environment um integration integration is probably the most important Mm -hmm. thing because um you know first of all it's it's i think it's very for someone looking on the on the outside looking in it's very difficult to 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 say without a doubt that someone's having a recreational experience because that experience can be very therapeutic for that person who's going through it. Mm-hmm. You know, so as long as we have the resources available to to work with people after they have an experience like that's imperative mm-hmm. for this.
0: Um, and that, that I just want to touch on this too that with the decriminalization, and I hope that there's not only police officers but emergency responders out there in Denver who are listening to this as well that uh, we know through um, experiences through like festivals and and things that one of the worst things that we can do to people who are uh, on a psychedelic experience is to halt that experience with uh, you know a tranquilizing Mm -hmm. agent or something so for any first responders out there who might have to uh, respond to someone in, in uh, emotional or, or um, mental crisis because of some of these substances. Uh, please do not, uh, you know, get get proper training from people who know what they're doing. Um, you know, contact some of us in this community, and we can we can help guide you in uh, how to properly intervene with these folks. The last thing you want to do is, is stop their um, their process. Right. Uh, that can be super traumatic for the psyche to stop someone's process. Even if it seems like you know, they're screaming out for help and they're in a psychic struggle, the best thing to do is just be there and be supportive and make sure they don't physically harm themselves and let them yeah. finish the process completely on their own. Yeah. As painful as it is to watch, the last thing you wanna do is intervene with, with a chemical yeah. like that. So I just wanted to put that out there as well.
1: I mean, that's so important, mm-hmm. you know, considering mm-hmm. the work that Zendo is doing. Yeah. You know um, i i i've heard that zendo is really looking forward to getting more involved at the municipal level nice and then organizations like dance safe as well the NOAAC society up here in boulder right um, their work is to reframe our relationships with ourselves and our communities and the substances we use mm-hmm. um one thing we're really looking forward to is actually getting denver law enforcement trained up on how to identify If an individual is under the influence of of psilocybin and um, so that Denver police can implement specific harm reduction techniques, and like you said, not shoot that person full of Narcan and strap them to a gurney with handcuffs, Mm -hmm.
0: Um, because that is tremendously traumatic. I could only imagine what that would be like. You know, I, I know up here in Fort Collins, and I think it's this system has expanded elsewhere in Colorado. But we have these mobile mental health units now, where mm-hmm. um, law, local law enforcement, if they're dealing with somebody who's in a psychotic episode, or um, you know, under the influence of some unknown substance, they mm-hmm. can call the mobile mental health unit. Um, to assist them on the scene to help de-escalate the person. So uh, there was an instance here in Fort Collins where some guy was intoxicated, I think, on bath salts and climbed up a tree naked and was, like, throwing things at pedestrians. (laughs) And the police arrived, and from what I heard, um, some of the police officers, not all of them, but a couple of them were considering, like, shooting him out of the tree because he was causing um, uh, potential harm to the community. Like tasing him or something to get him down? Yeah, or rubber bullets or something, or, you know, which could... You know he could fall on his neck and break his neck or whatever, but yeah. um it's because of instances like this that you know it'd be awesome if if they had a resource that they could call and and like like you said, part of the initiative is setting up a committee around this, mm-hmm. you know having a networking system where the police could call you know Kevin and say, "Hey, Kevin, I need you to send out one of your one of your gurus out there um to you know Colfax and University or whatever, and yeah. then they go out there to the scene and help explain to the police, okay, okay he's not He's not going to do anything harmful. Let me help talk him down. Let me help support him. We'll get him, yeah. you know, and, and I think mobile units like that could be a wave of the future too. Um, but with this big event happening, and I want to touch on this, um, we're, we're nearing the, the end here, and we have so much that we've talked about already, but <laughs> I want to make sure that we talk about um, this domino effect that can sometimes happen in something so big like this monumental uh, vote passes. Um, and it's a, a pattern that I see in prohibition as well as in de- deprohibition. So when, it, when the collective consciousness of a society shifts its mindset, um, often uh, reflected through voting, um, you know when, when the mind sh- mindset shifted to prohibition, uh, it was a hard shift. And it's a hard shift to come out of that. And now that we have made that hard shift out of prohibition or towards that direction, um, it's, I also feel like it's going to be very difficult for proponents, even if they wanted to, to shift it back, right? Like these big cultural shifts happen and it takes such a monumental um, collection of collective energy to make these shifts happen that it's unlikely that it's going to, shift back anytime soon like you said psychedelics are here this is proof this is like uh uh, this is the first pebble in a in a rock slide that's about to happen and um Mm. so the domino effect is already starting to happen i think since the passing of 301 the mexican president has put out a statement saying he's going to decriminalize all drugs down in mexico um i think he even reflected directly and, and cited the decriminalized Denver effort as, as like one of his motivators or inspirations. Um, so we heard about that. And then the very next day after uh, 301 passed, I read an article about Jared Polis, our uh, governor here, possibly putting forth a bill to decriminalize all uh, Schedule 1 and Schedule 2 drugs for possession. De-felonize. that's right. Not yeah. de- decriminalize. but a huge. Huge thing. Huge. And... Um, it's already passed the Senate. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh to nice. Sign it. Oh, good. It's already, it's already on his desk. Good. Yeah. So that'll be in effect, hopefully, in Probably a couple of weeks. Pretty soon, yeah. Um, so these shifts are happening, and dominoes are going to start falling really rapidly. Uh, yeah. Oregon and California both have it on their ballots soon or are working towards that. Um, what do you think, or what do you foresee as some of the uh, the, the dominoes that are going to fall next? Hmm. And also, <clears throat> what do you envision for the future of of uh, psychedelics spawning out of this or blooming out of this mm. uh, decriminalization hmm.
1: um, I think the what could happen next is one of two things um, psilocybin decriminalization or potentially a, you know another regulated model like in Oregon mm-hmm. um, I think decriminalizing is a priority and I think we may we'll we'll see more municipalities start working towards that potentially even here in Colorado, maybe Fort Collins, maybe Boulder, maybe you know maybe Aspen,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and then what we've also done is kind of open the door for the decriminalization of all drugs, as well,
0: more of Portugal's and
1: model, kind of more Portugal's Which model, is
0: highly successful. If if yeah. you listeners out there have never even heard of Portugal's model on drug abuse and and how they deal with it over there, please look it up. Uh, I think their drug abuse rates fell from like close to what ours were to down less than five percent. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. In, it's incredible work, mm-hmm. and we're way behind, way behind. On, on that. Yeah, because
1: we're we, you know, moving from a criminalization model to a compassion model, mm-hmm. especially for individuals who are, um, you know, tragically addicted to things like opiates um, or other substances, you know, from. I'm sure you probably understand this better than I do, but um, and you know, a, addiction is a symptom of some kind of trauma or pain mm-hmm. that somebody is experiencing in their life, and and they're using the substances to cover it up in some ways. And so, you know, even looking at the work of um, you know Dr. Gabor Mate, and in, in, he's in Toronto, right? Like in you know, Canada, like having this new conversation about how our nation approaches drug policy and drugs in general and having a better understanding of of addiction you know there's the potential here for a huge um, I mean a a huge cultural awakening to the trauma that we've all experienced in our own lives as as Americans Mm -hmm. potentially and we have the tools and the professionals available to overcome those issues in, in many cases I think and I mean Without getting too far out there in the weeds, I think we have an opportunity here to really create some massive cultural change for the better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, especially with with um, with mushrooms and kind of you know this cultural resurgence of of psilocybin and other psychedelic use, um, the the potential there is I can't even measure it. I mean, you don't you don't have to. Be sick or have trauma to benefit from using mushrooms. Um, you know, healthy, quote-unquote healthy, normal people can have incredible insights
2: mm-hmm.
1: and make tremendous change in their lives. Um, and tremendous
0: impacts on um, the world and human culture, too. Yeah. I mean, Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. <laughs> Steve Jobs and, uh, and yeah. other, you know, yeah. really famous scientists and stuff, and all sorts of people in Silicon Valley solving really yeah. complex um problems you with the use of psychedelics and microdosing dosing and, and things like this yeah
1: yeah so there's we're on the cusp of something mm-hmm. pretty amazing right now and um i just i feel really grateful and honored that i mm. get to play a, a small role in it i don't know what it looks like moving forward but for me personally i thought i'd get to sleep in on wednesday and i didn't ha- i haven't slept in yet <laughs> mm-hmm. and i don't want to anymore because mm-hmm. there's so much amazing work to do mm-hmm. um where this can intersect with so many things in our in our American culture and the world to mm-hmm. you know inspire people to overcome their fears and overcome their um, really overcome whatever they want to overcome i think is a is a huge possibility here
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, i know there 's a apparently a study right now going on comparing the the flow state experience with the psychedelic experience like a survey or something like that and mm. Um, I find them you know, very similar in, very in, in, in a lot of different ways. Yeah, yeah, they're. It's like you know, we can have literally a, a culture that um, is inspired to take these states that we experience in, in our, like in our internal experience from using these substances, and bring that beauty and that, I mean, <laughs> just all that stuff out into the world mm-hmm. and create
0: something that's more collaborative and cooperative that honors everyone. Right, more of the mycelium model. Like, literally, like, if you, you know, the more I looked into, like, uh, the biology of mycelium, Mm. um, the more I understand the nature of consciousness and the nature of reality in general and what we mean as individual nodes. You know, a mycelial bed can stretch, you know, it's the largest organism on the planet. It can stretch for many hundreds of miles. but there's no single node of mycelium that's in charge of the whole thing, you right. know. If you cut off or burned off half of it, um, the rest would survive and probably just repropagate, yep. you know, exactly. um, in a collaborative way, you know. It, yeah. You know, mycelia has been has been known to help trees transport nutrients from one tree that's in the sunlight to another tree that's in the shade, mm-hmm. just to help its brother out, you know, for no other, um, no, you know, selfish. Reasons, you mm-hmm. know. So, yeah. looking into the biology of the mycelium and and really connecting with what it, what is it trying to communicate? Not just through these visionary experiences, but as a model, you know, for us. Like, how can we better function as a, a communicating, connected species society? Well, let's look at the model that mycelium has already provided for us, and the internet is a great. Uh, a great version of that you know it's like a network of all these different nodes yeah. um, it's fun to look at pictures of mycelium
1: mm-hmm. and then you look at pictures of like like the human nervous system yeah and then you look at pictures of the internet
2: mm-hmm.
1: and all the nodes there and then you look at pictures of the the freaking universe mm-hmm. it they all look the same yeah <laughs> in it's all so fractalized yeah. it's, it's it's yeah like um wow i'm so happy that there are so many other people also doing this work mm-hmm. like i mean because we're who knows what's going to come from it i think it's going to be awesome
0: so if, if our listeners want to uh to reach out to you with mm-hmm. questions uh, comments uh, donations whatever um what's the best way for them to find you yeah
1: um right now still office at decriminalizeddenver.org is a good email um you also find us on Facebook at and Instagram at decriminalized Denver those are the best places okay um,
0: can people find you on like Instagram Facebook things like that me
1: personally well yeah I mean um, I need to get my my profile rebuilt <laughs> up on Instagram and mm-hmm. and Facebook um, and that's so yeah the, the channels through the actual campaign are still okay. they're still up and running cool that's a good spot
0: yeah and I'll yeah. put the uh, I'll put the link to decriminalizeddenver.org in the description for all the listeners if you guys want to reach out that way. If you guys have specific questions or comments for our guests today, you guys can always reach out to me on my website, uh, mindops.com. That's M-I-N-D hyphen dot com. Um, There's a comment section. Feel free to leave any comments and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Um, This is also going to go up on YouTube, so please be continue to be kind with your comments on YouTube Uh, this is only our second episode going up and we haven't even used our video editing software so uh, we just are trying to get as much of this information out as possible right now and right now it's pretty raw and I recognize that but we're working to um, to improve uh, production value so Kevin I want to thank you again for taking the time and and having this awesome conversation with me been my pleasure Shane mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's, it's always great to, to meet somebody for the first time but feel like I've known you for so <laughs> long already you know um, yeah. because of the similarity in our stories and I feel like if all of us out there can uh, have a more of a focus on finding the similarities between us you know rather than focusing on the differences between us I think we're yeah. going to have a lot more um, productive existence so thanks for being here and thanks for thanks for connecting with me today enjoy. Okay. Thank you. Shane. Hope you have you in the future when we uh, work towards other policy reform. Let's do it. Okay. Man, that podcast blew my mind. What an amazing time it was to sit down with Kevin for two hours. Uh, this was the first time I'd ever met Kevin in person, but I'd been following him on social media throughout the campaign and What an amazing guy, Um, so friendly and so open to talking about his own experience and, you know, it takes a lot of courage and a lot of vulnerability for someone to step up and do a podcast, let alone speak about, you know, their history, their story, their traumas, their struggles, their, um, you know, all that stuff and, and how they come out of it. So what an amazing podcast that was, what an amazing guy Kevin is and, I hope that we can have him back on in the future. Uh, that would be awesome. I hope you all enjoyed the podcast. Please continue to like, share and listen. Uh, go to our YouTube, our mind ops, YouTube page and check out our videos. We're going to upload this as soon as uh, we publish it. And um, again, sorry about the audio video, um, not syncing up on the, on the YouTube. Um, But hopefully we can fix that soon. I just want to get the content out there as quickly as possible. And um, unfortunately, I don't have time to sit around and uh, mess with the editing to get this out. So I got to get it out quickly and get this message out um, as fresh as it can, uh, fresh as I can. So thanks for listening. And please continue to listen, like, share and donate to the podcast if you find this uh, at all useful for you guys. Uh, please donate to the podcast. We don't use any ads anymore. We dropped that model. And um, so now we're completely listener supported. That's the way I prefer it to be. But that really does mean that, you know, we need everybody to try and step up and, and, uh, you know, donate a dollar, donate $5, donate $10. Anything helps. Anything and everything helps. Uh, I'll be upgrading my audio system soon. And uh, so far, it's uh, all my upgrades and and equipment and things like that has largely been out of pocket, which I don't mind spending. Uh, I enjoy this. It's a lot of fun, and it's been really fun making this content for all of you. So I hope you're appreci- appreciating it. Uh, feel free to reach out to us uh, at, at our website, mindops.com. That's M-I-N-D hyphen ops.com Or find um, Kevin if you want to uh, ask him questions or give him comments. Reach out to him at decriminalizeddenver.org. I'll put the link in the description. Um, and until next time, stay good to each other, people, and be responsible with your, uh, with your newfound opportunity for psychedelic medicine in Denver.